This paid podcast is produced by Slate Studios in partnership with Campbell Soup Company. Grandpa started it, my dad worked here after, well, all through his childhood and then after college, and then my sister and I really had no intention of being farmers, but that's <laughs> where we are right now. This is Uncanned, a podcast where we ask the tough questions about food. I'm your host, Dana Bialik, and while every human on the planet has a deep relationship to food, for me, it's been my day job for the last decade. I've worked on farms and kitchen dish pits, and as a server in cafes and restaurants. And, of course, I love to cook and eat. And as close as I am to food, I never stop asking questions. Where does my food come from? What's the real story? So here's the question we're uncanning. How is the story of food changing as we move into the future? And that's something that sisters Becky and Melissa Young think a lot about. They've recently returned to their family farm in California. All right. So climbing into the truck here. We're on Joe Young Farm. Joe's not the farmer anymore. Today, his granddaughters Becky and Melissa run the farm. It's a medium-sized family operation. 2,300 acres of land running along the fertile Sacramento River. This is the Sacramento Valley, where agriculture thrives from citrus and nut orchards to cattle ranches. And a lot of these farms, like the Youngs, have been operating for more than three generations. Many of the packaged foods you find in the grocery store, around the country, and across the world start with ingredients grown right here. All right, so where are we going first? So maybe we'll take you on a loop um, by my grandparents' house and kind of the back way through one of our home ranches. Their grandfather, Joe Young, is an immigrant from China. When he first arrived in the U.S., he worked in the restaurant business. After serving in the military and fighting in the Korean War, he returned to California in the 1950s and started farming. The farm has grown and grown. These days, they produce dozens of different fruits and vegetables, including tomatoes. Joe is 93, but he still remembers what those earliest farming days were like. When I started farming, everything... Use it by hand. That's right. He did everything by hand. And we'll hear more from Joe later. Back in the truck, Melissa's in the driver's seat. She and Becky are wearing matching flannels, jeans, and work boots. Melissa's more talkative. You can tell she's the older sister. She calls Becky by a nickname, B. They grew up down the road from their grandparents. Becky loved the summertime. She remembers her dad out in the field at night harvesting tomatoes. We would go out sometimes at night in our pajamas and go visit him in the field or, you know, bring dinner out to the field with my uncle or whoever was out working. Melissa remembers waking up to the smell of her dad's truck on Sunday mornings. He'd leave his diesel pickup running outside of our windows and we always asked him to turn it off and he would tell us that he did that on purpose because he didn't want us sleeping all day and it was time to get up. So (laughs) it's kind of our alarm clock. These two have been a team since they were 10 and 11. That's when they started their first business, a fruit stand. They sold at local farmer's markets until they left for college. After college, they each got jobs off the farm. 
Melissa worked for Campbell's Soup Company, and Becky sold tomato transplants to growers up and down the California and Oregon coasts. Neither of them had planned to become farmers, but four years ago, they decided it was time to come back home. Their father was running the farm, but Melissa says he was getting older. We figured we better come back now while he's still willing and able to help us than wait until he was out and then we could come in type of a thing. And believe it or not, people are still surprised to see women running a farm. While almost a third of farmers are women, only about half of those are what are called primary operators. This means that Becky and Melissa are even more of an anomaly. You know, basically most people, men, assume that we did the books or we were solely in the office or were a secretary. You know, a mechanic will come out from behind in the shop and come to the counter. Oh, they're letting you out of the office and picking up parts today, huh? So just... (laughs) <laughs> Little comments like that, we just have to smile and say, well, actually, no, I pick up parts every day. Uh, I also do office work, but we have to do it all. But for their dad, Rich, having his daughters take over the farm has been a relief. It puts my mind at ease. I know they will get it right. Lay down some compost there. You can sort of see it in the tire tracks. This is where we had organic um, hard squash. Melissa tells me the farm is 2,300 acres. That sounds huge to me, but compared to other farms in the area, area we're one of the small people. And they grow all kinds of stuff. Canning tomatoes are their biggest product, about 10 to 30 percent of their yield each year. But they also grow walnuts, winter squash, baby limas, yellow beans, watermelon, organic wheat. The list goes on. Corn, safflower, oh, sunflowers we grew this year. And I think that that's it. Oh, alfalfa. And they make it look easy. But in the past four years, Becky says they've had many challenges, including unpredictable weather patterns. Yeah, so within the last four years of us being back, we've seen the driest year my family's ever seen and the wettest year they've ever seen. So we don't know what's normal yet. We're just trying to go with it and figure it out. And that's been reflected in production. This year, the fields were so wet that they couldn't plant tomatoes until May. That's a month behind schedule. And they couldn't even seed a lot of the fields, like the one we're standing on. This is also organic. Um, It was fallow this year because it was so wet. And then here on the left, we have drip tape. Did you catch that? Drip tape. That's the thin-walled hoses that run down the rows of crops. You see, water drips directly into the soil at intervals that target the root systems. It's a very precise way of watering, and over time, it saves a lot of water. That's just one innovation Becky and Melissa are implementing. week, you always have that water dripping, so it keeps it a little more consistent for the plant, so it doesn't get really dry and then wet. You hardly have any runoff. It would be easy to miss the drip tape. It's all underground. Luckily, we find one poking out of the soil. Oh, yeah. What so is that's it? the drip tape. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, that's supposed like, to be buried and not above the ground. Like, Throw them to fix that later. On one seam, there's just little holes. Right there. Oh, yeah, wow. that's the emitter. Becky is holding a long black tube about the diameter of a nickel. So I'll cut it open so you guys can see the emitter on the inside. And so all the different tape, you can get it different thicknesses, different, different distances between the emitters based on what you want. Since implementing this new irrigation system, Becky and Melissa have seen their water use go down. At the same time, their yields have gone up. We could just sort of spoon feed the plants year-round. That's a self-steering tractor. GPS technology allows for very precise placement of the tomato plants next to the drip tape. And so every year when you pull up to the field, you just pull up the line. On the tractor's computer screen, and it's already right there, and it'll put them in exactly the same spot year after year. The tractor is pulling another piece of technology the sisters have invested in. It's called the Eliminator. And so basically, um, it combines um, a lot of passes into one. So this is something we bought about two years ago, and we can do our groundwork um, more than twice as fast now with one person and one implement. And so when he leaves that field, he's leaving it pretty perfectly level and ready to go for the next one. It looks great. <laughs> yeah. it is, this is satisfying when it's nice and clean yeah, and straight. Really and the Eliminator saves them a ton of time, fuel, and human labor, so they can get more done with less. We're trying to do as much as we can to save money and become more efficient, and then try and go out to actually you know, bring in more dollars. So at the same time of becoming more efficient, it, it is more sustainable. Innovations like drip tape and the Eliminator help. With drip irrigation, there's no waste, there's no runoff, and the nitrogen um, management is a huge thing in California now. And then just yeah, with um, like newer tractors that are more fuel efficient, they use less fuel and they're better for the environment. She also says that there are a lot more regulations now than when their grandfather was farming. Changes are coming from the government, and Becky and Melissa are working to keep up. It, it's going to be impossible here pretty soon to do things not sustainably. Applying technology helps with that, and it's another opportunity for Becky and Melissa to really shape the farm. When their dad took over from his father, he didn't have all the same freedom. Their grandfather was cautious to try new things. After all, it was his thing that he came and dedicated his life and started. Here's Joe Young again. How has the farm changed since you started? Well, the, the farm changed a lot since the last few years. Usually, handpack to go to machine and uh, change a new machine and... So there's a lot of different than uh, 10, 20 years ago. It's no surprise that a lot of what Joe used to do by hand now gets done with machines. Joe cracks a smile when he talks about how proud of his granddaughters he is and how they're handling all this new technology. They've done a good job. They've done a good job for me. And they're driven to work hard in part because that's how they were raised. Joe taught them this. So he reminds us, even as little kids, that you have to be hardworking and it's hard to make money and just be really careful and smart with your decisions as best you can. Melissa's excited for the opportunity to rethink the way they run the farm. Technology's inevitable, but it's also exciting. It keeps driving them to become more sustainable and more productive. We have never really stuck with one thing. Once we find something that works, you know, we have that kind of as our go-to, but we're always trying to every year experiment and try some new things. 
And that, of course, is why they've been so successful. Most people have no idea what goes into growing that tomato that you're buying at the store, how much work we're doing, and then the whole process of picking the tomato, sending it to the cannery, the process that goes through there, and then from then on, the rest of the process that happens to the final product. When you're doing your shopping and you pick up a can of tomato soup, you might not think about the fresh tomato it came from and the seedling before that. All that big picture stuff, that's what Becky and Melissa think about every day. hasn't changed on the young farm, the family's love of food. They all love talking about food, cooking and sharing meals. We're sitting around the kitchen table now, and it seems like the perfect spot to reminisce. My grandma, up until the last 10 years or so, she would always have the family dinners at her house, and she'd make just this huge spread with, you know, eight or nine dishes. And my grandpa built, and my dad and uncle built a little bass pond at our shop. And so when we were little, she'd say, okay, go get a fish and I'll steam it for dinner and I'll make a big dinner. And so we'd all go in the evening times and have dinner there. So food is a really big deal to our family. Even their great-grandfather loved to cook. He owned a Chinese restaurant in Old Sacramento, but he also made elaborate meals at home. Yeah, it's, it's, I remember my grandfather going to my grandparents' house there. He would be the one that would prepare all the meals and be cutting up the, the duck and the, they'd be making the fried chicken and some of the other traditional Chinese dishes. Becky and Melissa's family have been on the farm for three generations, and they want to make that four. They love this place. It's become more and more important to make sure we keep this going as long as we can. So if the day comes where I have kids or my nephew or his brothers and sisters, they have the opportunity to have the same experience that I did growing up. And the job has some real perks. We get to play in the dirt every day and get outside and um, just kind of appreciate living out here and being out here. Plus, we get to bring our dogs to work every day. (laughs) (laughs) And everyone would love to see the farm stay in the family. We want this legacy to continue on. young family and inspiring to hear the way Becky and Melissa are innovating to take their farm into the future. With global population rates accelerating, there's more pressure on the food industry. So how does this affect the bigger food landscape? I wanted to talk to an expert. My name is Margaret Ziegler. Margaret's the executive director of the Global Harvest Initiative, a policy group that focuses on important issues like global food security and conserving natural resources. Tell me a little bit about what you do. Sure. The Global Harvest Initiative was formed in 2009 by companies in the agricultural sector 
who wanted to make a difference in terms of global food security and nutrition and sustainability. So I've been here with the Global Harvest Initiative uh, for the last six years, and we are advocates and educators about the need to sustainably improve agriculture, not only in the U.S., but around the world, to feed 10 billion people by 2050. You said 10 billion people? Yes. So today we have approximately about a little over 7 billion people on the planet. And we're expected, literally by 2050, to have 9.8 billion. And this number gets revised every year. The United Nations constantly assesses the number. And each year it's been ticking up slightly. So one of the things that we're looking at is where is this population growth going to take place? And a lot of that is happening in sub-Saharan Africa and parts of Asia. And it's, it's going to pose quite a challenge because many of the countries that are experiencing higher rates of population growth are the same countries that also don't have enough food at present. So we're concerned about what's going to happen literally in the next 25 to 30 years in sub-Saharan Africa and parts of Asia. With the growing population comes a scarcity of food and a scarcity of good land for growing food. According to Margaret, how we look to increase food security in those parts of the world isn't different than how we need to think about food security at home. It's all about productivity. We believe that productivity is a core part of a global food security strategy. It's not the only thing you do, but it is a very important part of a comprehensive plan for food security and nutrition security. And what productivity really is, is being able to produce while maintaining or even lowering the amount of inputs that you're using. And one of the ways that economists talk about productivity is something called total factor productivity. And productivity really is about producing more and better using less. And um, there's specific measurements that agricultural economists use to track how we're doing globally and nationally and regionally with boosting productivity. In the U.S., we have about 9 million dairy cows And each one is very productive, and this is actually interesting. We, About 20 to 30 years ago, we had almost double the amount of dairy cows in the United States. And today we have far fewer, and each cow is is more productive. So what that means is you have fewer, fewer animals. They produce less methane. They use less water and less feed per animal. So that's just an example of productivity, and it applies to many different crops and many different products in the agriculture sector. Becky and Melissa explained how it's easy for folks outside of the farm sector to imagine that increasing productivity is bad for the environment. Is there a misconception that productivity and sustainability are at odds? You know, what we see is that productivity is an important first step towards sustainability, They do go hand in hand, and people oftentimes think productivity is just producing more. And what we're trying to do is explain that productivity is getting to the output that is needed while most efficiently adopting new innovation 
and efficiently managing the resources that you have. So a a productivity-led strategy is one that could be applied to many different kinds of farms. So something we saw at the young farm was there we have a multi-generational farm or a farm that was started by, you know, the current farmer's grandfather, Joe Young, and then passed down to his son and then now is being run by his daughters who stepped in in part because they saw a need for the farm to kind of take a turn, kind of enter the new era with more sustainable technologies and innovations and such. Um, is that something we're seeing as sort of a tension between the new way of doing things and the old way of doing things? Yes. It's also an exciting time because there have been a larger number of farmers, young farmers, starting to re-enter the field of agriculture in the United States just in, in the most recent few years. And this is in response, I think, to a number of trends. And they're bringing with them different perspectives and Uh, a greater focus on improving the environmental impact of farming and a greater focus on nutritional products. So I think it's an exciting time because the next generation can bring perhaps new scientific methods and new approaches, best ways of managing a farm, and also their readiness to adopt technology is very different than prior generations. So precision agriculture systems, uh, using more data to track what's happening on the farm and to identify areas where they could improve things. This is a very exciting time, and these young farmers are stepping up and doing, doing things differently, and that's what's needed is a bit of a paradigm shift. So it seems like we have like a lot of things kind of affecting the agricultural market. What does that look like? How does the agricultural market look today that it different than, say, 20 years ago? Sure. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I think people are focused on now is while we are producing a lot more agricultural products, we also tend to not use them as efficiently as we could once they've been produced. So in the United States, we are very good at producing on land and throughout the agricultural value chain, but oftentimes some of the food is wasted when it gets to the retail level or the consumer level. So there's a new focus now, and I think it's very good, that we're trying to identify and understand better why are we wasting food and and where are the areas where in the system we could do a better job at avoiding food loss and food waste. So in the U.S., a lot of this food loss occurs at the household level or the retail level. And there's some very exciting things that are taking place now to cut down on that waste. It's estimated that between a 20% and up to perhaps a third of food at the retail and household level has been wasted. And I think that there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. And as consumers are becoming more aware of environmental issues, what is their role in changing the agricultural ecosystem? Consumers have always played a a vital role, but it seems today um, they want a lot more information about how their food is produced. And I think it's really a good good sign that they want clarity and they want transparency and they want to be connected to producers as well. And I think it's very exciting. So they are playing a role in the sense that primary producers now can't just – you know, do their business as usual, produce food and sell it to a a processor, an off-taker. 
it's very important for farmers to have a voice and to explain, I think, to consumers what they're doing at the farm level so that consumers can be reassured that animal welfare standards are in place and that sustainability practices are in place. And it's it's really great because I think farmers now have the opportunity to share more about the new innovations that they're using and explain to a consumer why why they use an innovation and what benefit it has not only for their farm operations but perhaps for the soil, for the for the climate, for the water supply and for animal welfare. It's a great opportunity to have a two-way conversation between farmers and consumers. Farmers like Becky and Melissa Young are thinking hard about how to grow sustainably. And that makes a can of tomato soup taste even better. That's the first episode of Uncanned, a podcast produced by Slate Studios in partnership with Campbell Soup Company. Vera Carruthers is our lead producer. Production assistance from Leah Campbell, Lily Butler, Michelle Siegel, and me, Dana Bialik. Our theme music was composed by Cody Fitzgerald. Special thanks to everyone we spoke to at Joe Young Farm. Find out more about our show online at uncannedbycampbells.com. If you like what you heard, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.